this book is filled with things that need to be done. And there's a big difference, I think, in trendy Enneagram and Enneagram Wisdom. That, my friends, is Suzanne Stabile, Enneagram Master Teacher, one of my dear friends and the author of the new book, The Journey Toward Wholeness. This book, my friends, I'm very excited for you to hear about. It is going to be the... Uh, first and primary resource I'm going to give to any and everyone who wants to learn about the Enneagram. Now, the, the podcast, uh, this is not like Enneagram 101. This isn't like an intro. This is, if you know your number and you're ready to take the next step on it, that's what Suzanne's book is doing right here. And it's the best one that I've read on it. Uh, if, if you are new to the Enneagram, let me remind you, the Enneagram is a personality typing system, gives out nine types of the way that we experience the world, number one through nine. Now, one of the things we talk about are the triads and what a triad is, in case you uh, don't know or you you need to be reminded. uh, There are three um, intelligence centers that each of these numbers work out of. So the first three, two, three, and four are from the heart triad. So that means they're in their feelings, they read the room, that's how they uh, approach the world. That's their first um, way to lean in at everything. Uh, that is two, three, and four. Five, six, and seven are those of us who live in our headspace. And so everything is thinking. Okay, so that's their primary way of engaging the world thinking. Uh, two, threes, and fours, it's feeling. Uh, Five, six, and seven is thinking, and then eight, nine, and one. It is in the doing triad. Also talked about uh, anger, and so in the same way that uh, those of us who are in the head triad, five, six, and seven, um, everything is based around fear. Eight, nine, and one is based in doing or anger, and so that's uh, triads that we talk about. Uh, we also talk talk about your stance, which is the way that you approach the world, and that is a different group of number. So if you are, let's say, a one, a two, or a six, you are in the dependent stance, so your relationship to people is with them. If you are a four, a five, or a nine, you are within the withdrawn stance, and so again, pull away from people. If you are in, uh, if you are a three, seven or eight, you are in the aggressive stance like yours truly. And so, uh, this, this podcast, this book is built around those things, um, which I think are going to be super helpful. Um, Suzanne will do a much better job explaining that later in the podcast, but if you don't know, I want just to have kind of like a rudimentary understanding of those ideas before we jump into the podcast. All right. So without further ado, here is Suzanne Stabile. Let's go. All right, friends, welcome back to the show today. I am absolutely delighted to have my dear friend, Suzanne Stabile, on the podcast again. How are you? I'm so good. I love being on your podcast. It was my first, you know. It, it, it Yes. And uh, who would have thought that that first time I showed up at your place in Dallas? Who would have thought the first time you showed up in Austin and we do like, the, uh, like a whole catalog of podcast episodes that... Five years later, we'd be doing this again. Yeah. And you would be where you are. Like, I, it's unbelievable. Where I am is certainly unbelievable. And I'm so thankful for our friendship. It, it's um, very life-giving for me. Makes me hopeful and happy and, um, yeah, all good. It's all good. Yeah. The feeling is mutual. Sometimes you stumble into an interaction 
that you think is just going to be a one-hour conversation, and it turns out to be one of the most meaningful relationships in your life. And that's what happened. So, uh, like I was saying a second ago, like the podcast is a great excuse for me to get together with my friends, and you become a dear friend of mine. So I'm glad we're doing this. Me too. I I feel like we like you just make me serious. Like I I can't like. Like there's like affection and feelings that come out when I talk to you. I've tried to suppress them with humor and you're thwarting my game. Like I feel like you're judoing me to make me less immature. I feel like that I've seen your more mature sides and I just bring that out. Hmm. Can we can we bring back the like the more fun side? Because that's the the per- people like the personality. They don't want the essence. Come on now. You know how that works. Yeah, I know, but you you say that when you enter a room, you might use humor, but there's there's something a lot deeper behind that. So, you know, entering our relationship years ago certainly has to equate to entering the room, and we're to the deep stuff now. We we are we are, and so we're just serious. This is this is it, Suzanne. I, I want to tell you something. The new book, the journey toward wholeness. I read it yesterday, and it is brilliant. I absolutely love it, and. I am so excited for people to read this book. This is, you have a few books out now. Like, do you have a different, like, feeling or, like, anticipation right before the release of a book than you did before? I like this one a lot. I think the other two are filled with things that need to be said. Mm -hmm. This book is filled with things that need to be done. And there's a big difference, I think, in trendy Enneagram and Enneagram wisdom. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've always said separates the Enneagram from other typing models that are like it is that you can actually do something with what you learn about yourself. The Enneagram shows you where you're broken and shows you how you can be healed at exactly the same time. But you got to do something for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And um, this book is about the magic of knowing what to do for your way of seeing the world that will, in fact, help you be a better human and it'll help you put more goodness into the world, and it will have as much effect as you let it have on the relationships that mean the most to you. Yeah. This book is going to be the one that I recommend from now on uh, for anyone who wants to know anything about the Enneagram. From here on out, it is this, bar none. This is where we're going. But I'm also going to tell people to be prepared to be like offended and, and assaulted I read this and I was, I felt like so exposed where I was like, Suze, like, are you literally just writing stuff down that you know about me and putting on paper? Because I feel like this was a little too much and I feel like I want to give this to people and I want to say, hey, I'm sorry for what this is going to do to you, but it's going to get like, but this is what you just said. Like, it's going to give you what you need to do. I, I literally been thinking today. I was like, I'm waking up and one of the practices I've been doing is like, Luke, you have no expectations today. Letting go of the expectations. Like there's a couple affirmations I'm going through. Um, you know, first Corinthians 13, I kind of do this love is patient. That's so that's who I'm going to be like, that is like this breathing exercise I do. And then I've recently added this thing about like 
letting go of your expectations for the day. Like I wake up and I have my list of things I, I, I want to do and I want to get done. And I try to name those as expectations that I'm going to let go of. Now I've got to add a third piece is I've got to ask myself the question, what is fear telling me right now? And how is fear impacting me? And I've got to just be like acknowledge like the relationship that fear has on my day-to-day existence. And I really don't like that. So I, I like this book, but it's, it's like, it's a little much like it's, it's in my business. You know, I, um, I think there, there comes a time in relationships where if somebody doesn't love one another, if somebody doesn't love another person enough to tell them the truth, and to show them what they can't see, to show them their blind spot, then it's the end of the relationship, even though they may not know it. Hmm. And you know me, I, I'm if I'm in a relationship, I'm in for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And um, my relationship with you and Lindsay and my few chances I get to love on the girls... I'm in for the long haul. Like I, I want to know when they graduate, and I want to be at their weddings, and I want to be called if something goes wrong in your life because I'm in for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And I have a different relationship with my readers, of course, but I'm in for the long haul. I, I'm a, a teacher who writes, not a writer. Yeah. And if I'm going to spend a year and a half of my life writing, then it's because I believe that it will add to the depth and breadth and goodness of the relationship I have with people who read my work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense for a relationship to have depth. And I think this is what you're saying about trendy Enneagram. Like there's the trendy Enneagram, which is what I do. And I like try to size someone up because I, you know, I guess the suit, which I think I just did that a second ago before we started recording. Um, that's trendy Enneagram. It's a party trick. But the wisdom of the Enneagram is the stuff that like moves you into depth and you, moves you past kind of the things that are your go-to moves for how to approach and engage with life. And this book like kind of forces you to do that. And uh, speaking of your relationship with my daughter, I was reading this yesterday. My youngest daughter, Audrey, uh, was sitting next to me. She was on her iPad playing um, because sometimes instead of parenting, I just give them a screen. Uh, judge me later if you want, listeners. I'm sorry. Um, so I'm reading this book, and Audrey turns over to me. She goes, what, what book is this? I go, oh, well, it's Miss Suzanne's. And she goes, oh, that was the lady we went to dinner with. I was like, yeah, yeah. Remember at dinner when she said, do you guys want a device? And we said, no, I don't want a device. But inside, we were thinking, yes, give us a device. That's what we want. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's her. She was the one who offered you a device at dinner, but you turned it down because you're a nice little child. <laughs> well, she turned me down because she has the parents that she has, and y'all are teaching her well. <laughs> and that was a very long dinner, mm-hmm. and uh, they were exceptional. So yeah. that, that, that's, yeah. that's what I have for Audrey. Now, back to this thing that you're saying about things to do. Here's how I see the three books. Um, You've heard me say often, and my guess is you've heard him say it, quoting Richard Rohr, that information is not knowledge and knowledge is not wisdom. That's good. And yet, all three are necessary. And I think the road back to you is information. And the path between us is knowledge. And the journey toward wholeness 
has the potential for wisdom. Mm. And in my way of thinking, wisdom is applied knowledge. We got on a flight to somewhere recently, and uh, Joel was across the aisle from me sitting next to a lovely young woman who um, asked what he was doing. He said he was traveling with me and that I teach. And she said, what? And he said, the Enneagram. And she said, oh, she got all excited. And he said, yeah, my mom's Suzanne Steele. And then she got all excited. She leans over Joel, and she says to me across the aisle, and I don't remember what the two numbers were, so I'll prove the point with these two numbers. She said, oh, I'm a three with a seven wing. (laughs) And I said, well, you're not that, but it's very nice to meet you, (laughs) and you need to read the road back to you. (laughs) And so that's what I mean by trendy Enneagram. There's a lot of people talking about the Enneagram who have taken a short quiz, think they know their number, or somebody else just told them their number and they said, okay. And then there's the Enneagram that I I try to teach and offer and share and write about that has the potential to be transformative. Mm -hmm. One, I like that you called them out on that because you are the... Enneagram godmother, so you can do that kind of stuff. Um, information gives us ideas. Knowledge like gives us more, but wisdom leads to transformation. Now, you have this story in the book about transformation, which is a brilliant story that I've never heard you tell, but it's a story about the wide mouth toaster. You and Joe, road trip, you're listening to our beloved Richard Rohr, and you tell Joe, we need to stop and get a wide mouth toaster. He says, why? And you go, well, we can't get bagels in the toaster that we have right now. And so you made a comment about Joe merging with you. Uh, I would say Joe's just being a nice husband, and, but you're married to him, so you can say the more accurate version of that. You go in uh, to, it was like an outlet mall or something like that. You get a toaster, and I believe you got two potholders because everyone needs potholders. Yeah. Am I right? And then you go back in the car. Yeah, this is the 90s, so you're listening to a tape, and the car starts going again. You put the tape in, hit play, and what does Father Rohr say? You know, it's like all those people who think they have to go out and buy a wide mouth toaster. (laughs) Uh. It was Joe Stabile's favorite moment of the last three or four decades. I would pay money for that sort of interaction with my wife. I'm just saying, like, I, I definitely would do that, and I would love every bit of it. He just looked at me. Joe just looked at me. Mm-hmm. And, and interestingly enough, the, the work we were doing for that, we were headed, uh, going on retreat, and we had our retreat work from Father Rohr, and the retreat was uh, uh, all about simplicity and about letting go. And so it... It was a terrible moment for me. And Richard loves that story so, so much. But, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe five years after that, maybe more, I get a text from him one day, and he said, well, I just want you to know that Kmart down the road's going out of business, and I finally bought a wide mouth toaster. <laughs> <laughs> so even Roar, at one time or another, has to add. A wide mouth toaster. 
Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay recently just got a new toaster and I was like, why? And she goes, cause we needed a new one. I was like, I don't think we did, but yeah. anyway, uh, that's how life works sometimes. But the, uh, in some ways the proverb that you transcribe after that story is a line about the difference of change and transformation. Change is to add and transformation is to remove. Obviously we've, if you've read Roar or, uh, I feel like I've, I've quoted as well. Um, all spirituality is about letting go. Right. Much of what we do is just adding. Right. It's like, oh well, let me let me add something new and let me give it a new discipline. And if I do ten hours of work, then let me start doing twelve hours of work. Why is transformation to remove? Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna change remove to allow to fall away. Okay, why are you changing them? Well, because what that's what I said in the book okay. is allow, and the reason I'm changing it, and the reason you changed it. Let's talk about why you changed it first. And then we'll talk about why I'm changing it. Okay. I don't have a perfect memory. No, no, no. No, no, no. My guess it's, is you changed it when you read it. My guess is you were looking at allow to fall away and you read remove. It looks prettier on a page. Change is to add. Transformation is to remove. Like the symmetry, the parallelism, mm-hmm. it's, it's aesthetically pleasing. You're just digging your hole deeper. <laughs> Okay. okay, but you've written this before. Like, w- the work is to allow God to remove, right? Like, here's the deal: the okay. reason you changed it to remove is because that puts you in charge. Oh, I can add it and I can remove it. Hmm. Mm, caught. And what we have to learn to do. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> this book has been bad for me. Like, I like the book, but it's not treating me well. <laughs> but I am. Yeah, you are. Like, this isn't, it's painful. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, it, it, we don't allow in our culture. We, we don't know about allowing. We think we have to make everything happen. And allowing makes room for something that we didn't choose. Yeah. So, you know this is true. The loss that you have, occur- that you have experienced in the last two years was transformative for you because parts of your life fell away that you were not in control of. And that sets the table for transformative experience. And our tendency is to think that we can make things go away. That just makes your sevenness or my two-ness bigger. It doesn't really affect whether or not something stays or goes away. Mm-hmm. So what I hope to do with this book is suggest that you can add and add all you want to, and you can experience all kinds of change that will not be transformative. But you can also do some work on yourself and with yourself. And in doing that work, you can make a space where you will be ready when transformative opportunities show themselves Mm -hmm. to walk into that experience and then actually have a transformative experience that you could have never orchestrated that will wrap you up and love you well. Mm -hmm. I would definitely agree that past two years have been transformative for me. Definitely agree that I don't feel like the agency was mine 
in what I experienced that caused me 40 in the year 2021 to be different than 2019, 38-year-old Luke. I, I don't know what I did, but you just talked about making space for that. And so what agency we do have is being open and having the space in our life. Can, can you maybe flesh out what that looks like? Sure. Um, 38-year-old Luke had been reframing every sad thing that happened for a very long time. And then something happened. Some things happened that you couldn't reframe. But you, Luke, had done a lot of work leading up to 38 that made space for you to just allow something to be rather than use all your might and all of your sevenness to make yourself feel better. Hmm. Do you? Well, I just want to add, it doesn't have anything to do with age. It has to do with how you, how much you value your life and what it can be if you can allow for things to be bigger than you are. Mm -hmm. Hmm. It's it's hard. There are not a lot of messages in our culture that say, slow down and wait and see what comes to you. Isn't it interesting that we say, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, and then the... It happens within, what, 30, 40 seconds? When the life pattern is you wait for it and wait for it and wait for it, and it might come at 38 or 39 or at 40, and then you wait for the next thing. Mm -hmm. So you and I just talked about the fact that I'm struggling a little bit because I just turned 71. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of want to hold things a little closer. And that's not what is mine to do at this point in my life. My children are all adults. They don't need me to pull them in. Mm -hmm. They need me to allow them to pull me into their world at times. And I can't, you know, better than most, how much I love Joe Stabile. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not in control of anything having to do with how long I have him or how long he has me. But it would be dishonoring and disrespectful of him if I don't allow life to happen to us in the way that it does and then allow myself to become whoever I can be as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Can I tell you a story? Of course. My mom and dad were married for 56 years. And they were best friends. For the first years of their marriage, uh, my dad was a doc and she was his surgical nurse. They were good dance partners and they uh, just did all of life together. They traveled a lot all over the world. And when my, my mom was a five, my dad was a one. And a few months after my dad died, my mom uh, was visiting us. And I said to her, I, I, I just don't know how you're doing this. You, you're doing so well. 
I, I don't I don't know how you're doing it. And she said, well, Suzanne, I, I had almost 57 years. Don't you think I should be grateful and live in the, the, the gratitude for all of that rather than continue to mourn that it has changed for a time? And I literally thought I will never be there. I will never feel that way. If I lose Joe, I'll never be there. And I still think that. But what I have done is set the table doing my work on me so that I might be able to be there. And I said, I don't know how you're just not screaming and crying. And she said, what makes you think I don't bury my face in my pillow at home and scream? One doesn't exclude the other. And so, in working on myself as a two, you know, you and I are much alike and very different, but we can both really charm people. We're both very charming, and we can get what we want with charm. And it's a different journey to recognize that that's manipulative and that I need to allow things to unfold as they will without me trying to have something to do with the outcome of things. And this is just a little tiny piece of the book, and I certainly don't want to over-talk it. But I, I, I think you can't get low. You, you cannot change what you can't name. And I don't know any other resource that helps you name yourself and shows you what you need to let go of better than the Enneagram does. Yeah, yeah, I would co-sign that. I'd co-sign that for sure. Tell a story about uh, getting into a space where you can let go. Um, the podcast I recorded, I guess it was a week ago, I'll, I'll put it out uh, after yours because your book comes out and we'll put yours first because that's just what I do. Um, and the reason that this podcast is because it was um, a pastor whose five-year-old kid tragically has an asthma attack out of the bloom. And she doesn't make it. And so, like, my whole thing was, all right, that's, like, the worst thing I can imagine. How do you keep going? And so, on the podcast, like, this is a, a, a dad who's, a, you know, very polished, like, mega church, celebrity pastor kind of guy. Um, and, and I don't mean that offensively. I'm just saying, like, that's what his platform is. Um, and so, he's, like, polished, and he's holding his stuff together. And, uh, like, I'm just, like, crying the whole time in the podcast just talking about it. Just, be, like, being available to what he's had to go through is just like the worst possible scenario for me. And I, I think part of what has changed in me, especially in the last two years is I, I don't feel like I'm missing the moments with my kids. I don't feel like I'm like oblivious to the grace that's bestowed upon me in this moment and right here and right now. And the, there, there's a line from Joan Chittister who, you know, you know, Joan Chittister, oh, yeah. right? I've tried to have her in the podcast like twice and we've had like technical difficulties. And I'm like, I think she's like, I'm not saying 85 year olds don't know how to use like certain apps required to do podcasting, but you know, whatever. But, uh, she has this brilliant line that I said so many times. And that's why we're on the podcast. Um, in this moment is the essence of everything glorious. I've been given in life and it's enough. And I feel like I've said it enough that eventually like there, there are moments where like, I really actually believe it. And I don't, I don't feel like like there's an intentional effort 
to do that as much as it's been like it's a daily you just show up and you like as you say like you create space and eventually what happens is all of a sudden like you have been conformed to a, a different image you have been transformed into who you're created to be and that's just like the miracle of transformation right. that in the small steady things that somehow in those like the big moments cataclysmic moments that you're available to what what i would say the spirit has gotten you into yeah, I'm gonna I wanna speak to that, but first I wanna say you need to read tracks of a fellow struggler. Okay. And you need to send it to the pastor who lost his child. Fellow struggler. Okay. Uh, um so here's an example. If I didn't understand my tunis and if I can't manage my feelings, so see, the, the, essentially the rhythm of the book is you, you have to understand triads and you got to understand that you greet the world with one of the three centers, thinking, feeling, or doing. And that's your dominant center. And the first work you have to do is manage your dominant center. The second piece of work that you have to do is understand how to behave more appropriately and in a healthier way when you're stressed. And the third part of the book is you have to learn how to bring up your repressed center. Mm-hmm. So I am a two, I go to eight in stress, and my repressed center is thinking. So if you think about my journey in this context, here's what I would say. I am relational in all things, and I bring I'm I'm the person who brings people home, right? Yep. And in in the example that I've given you of the thing that I think will will cause me the greatest pain that I will ever feel or ever imagine is being separated from Joe. So if you take this whole pattern together, I've invited people to dinner. I've said yes to going out to dinner. I've said yes to phone calls. I've been distracted by my email because I can't always manage my feelings. And I feel like I want people to want me. So I over-respond and I'm over-generous with strangers. Mm -hmm. Which is me... Living in real time, the exact thing that I say is going to break my heart if it happens in future time. Yeah. So what I have to do is manage that. Now, if I don't manage all of that, and there are too many people, too, too many people, and I'm not with my grandchildren as much as I want to be, I'm not with my children as much as I want to be, I'm not with Joe as much, and I'm not with my close friends as enough, then... What happens to me is I get stressed when I've got too much. And then I either have an opportunity to use the high side of eight behavior or the unhealthy side. Mm -hmm. Well, the healthy side of eight teaches me to say no. So without learning that in stress, the healthy side of the stress number, I can't say no to all these requests that keep me tied up. And then I have to bring up thinking, and I do that with, is this mine to do? If I do this, am I taking uh, what somebody else is supposed to do from them? Is this a relationship I can really be present to, that I can really do? And am I going to 
regret the time that I spend here at a future time in my life. And so if 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 in this one example I do better with that, then I'm going to do better. Mm-hmm. And and so you know that's a that's that's a a very poor representation of nine numbers needing to manage their dominant centers and nine numbers dealing with stress and nine numbers bringing up their repressed center. Yeah. But the Enneagram is not static. It's dynamic stability, meaning that the moves are predictable, but there's always movement. And, and I think that's what's most appealing to me about the Enneagram. Yeah. That it creates space for us in different places and spaces in life. Right. The, so as I'm trying to like synthesize this concept, balance is a, is, is a major theme of the book, Trying to Find Balance. Um, can we talk about jujitsu? As a metaphor for Let's what you're do. doing in the book? Let's okay. do. I don't know about you if you've done much grappling, but typically what happens for many is that you have one thing that you like to do. Let's say you like to choke someone. <laughs> and there's a certain strangle that you like to apply to someone that you're grappling with. And so you get good at it and you practice it. And so all of a sudden you just start seeing it in different moments and matches and so you just keep going back to it over and over and over again and you've developed this entire skill in some ways this would be very analogous to i don't know if you watched the uh most recent heavyweight boxing match between wilder and fury did you watch that one i did not okay you missed that well it's very similar to that because you have a great boxer who has one really good punch and it's worked so well for him He's gotten all the way to the height of boxing success, and then he meets someone who's better than him, who knows how to mitigate that one move he has. And all of a sudden, he loses three matches in a row to the best guy in the world, Tyson Fury. In some ways, I feel like what the book is doing is saying that we naturally have a strength that we go to from our dominant center. And for us to experience balance, you've actually got to move to your repressed center and my word is empower. I, I think you have better words than that, which now I'm very gun shy because I feel like you're going to correct me. Um, but there's some word that describes how we need to lean into our repressed center, the place that we don't want to go to, that we don't practice, that we don't lean into, because that's ultimately how we're going to experience balance. That's it. That's it. Exactly. You just, that was perfect. A far so, more violent metaphors than you use in the book, but it's, a, it's the idea. Right. So as a seven, you're mm-hmm. thinking dominant. Mm-hmm. And doing supports thinking, and feeling is repressed. Are we a hundred percent sure that's just not a good, like a better way to live? Just ignore your feelings. Are we sure about that? We're really sure. Okay, I feel like I ask you that every time because I feel like you might. Do you think I'm going to change my mind and just give you that little lovely gift? I feel like it's the, whole, the world a gift, but yes. Okay, so for me, transformation means that I need to lean into feelings, which. Yeah, okay, all right. So then, if we go back to the way we, uh, all of us in the West, see life, is that means that we need to push down our dominant center. So your inclination would be to try to push down thinking so that feelings will just pop up. Hmm. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You have to go get feelings and bring them up. 
And so the, the, the work here is if you want balance, you have to manage. You still need your dominant center. So you don't want to thwart it. You want to manage it. And you have a support center that supports your dominant center. And then you got to get some balance with that. So that's the second way that we distort things. And then you got to go over here and bring up your repressed center. It's probably been repressed since, I don't know, uh, pre-adolescence probably. Mm-hmm. And the, the lovely thing is you haven't used it much. So it's not all beat up and messed up because it's been protected. You've protected it. But... I'll tell you where I see it with you over and over and over. You are incapable of not bringing up your feelings when you're dealing with your beautiful wife and those three adorable daughters. And you have met me where I was twice in our relationship with what I needed, which was just feelings so you in all of those times and many others allow feelings you're a good pastor because you allow feelings what you have to do then is try to find balance using all three and the way you do that is using each of the centers for its purpose you can't think feelings mm-hmm and unfortunately, in our culture, you, you watch the news. Just watch a news clip. People now interchange thinking and feeling as if those two words mean the same thing. And they absolutely do not. Mm-hmm. And so the, it, it's like we're swimming in all this misunderstanding of the difference in thinking and feeling. And when we're balanced, we're not so tired You are using, uh, these three centers are our natural resources. We all have them. You don't have to go to school to get them. You don't have to learn them. We all have them. Mm -hmm. You just have to use them appropriately. And in the moments when you do that, life is really good. And they're just moments. But the other reality is that All of us are trying to do life with two of three centers of intelligence. So we're exhausted because we're not using one-third of the natural resources we have to do life. And ultimately, the two that you use begin to trigger each other. And they're kind of like behave badly like, you know, people in a family who are in each other's business. They just begin to behave badly. And then we can't understand why things turn out the way they do. You said that this uh, repressed center, so thinking, feeling, doing, whichever one that is for your number, is not beat up by the world. Another way to say that is that it hasn't been polished, it hasn't been rehearsed, it hasn't been practiced. And so to use it, you're probably going to be clumsy. You're probably not going to be as skilled. You're not going to be as competent. And in some ways, it's like more honest and true because it hasn't uh, gone through all the filters that we've put on the things that we naturally lean into. But also, we're kind of clumsy with them. 
And so, like, just leaning into that, like, it feels unnatural because you haven't been practicing it. Perfectly said. And it's the center that you, you've used the least and you, you least like it, and it makes you feel the most vulnerable. Which is why when you get to the end of the book, you, you think, ugh, ugh. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's all the stuff that I said at the top. Yep. I just feel, but here's a line. Uh, I think it's from Kathleen Hurley and Theodore Donson. I feel like that's how you say the name. Uh, the quote is, an underdeveloped soul cannot protect us from automatically reacting to the cares and anxieties of life. And so it's uncomfortable to lean into the repressed center, and it's awkward to not rely upon your strengths that naturally come to you. But we are underqualified to deal with the complexities of life if we don't do that. Right. And, you know, um, I don't know. I grew up United Methodist in a great church. My husband was a Catholic priest. Now he's a Methodist pastor for years now. And um, I, I think I was 37 years old before I thought I had anything to do with my own soul. You know, I, I, I thought it was just done. Like, your soul is done, and you don't need to worry about it. You can mess it up. But other than that, you know, behave yourself, and all is well. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to safeguard our souls. I, I think we have soul work to do. Mm-hmm. And soul work has to do with in my language, and it doesn't need to be everybody's. I would prefer that everybody have their own. But soul work for me has to do with being who I was created to be and doing what is mine to do. Hmm. And in order for me to do that, I can't lean too heavily on my dominant center because I'm created for more than feeling. And I'm created for more than doing something about what I feel in other people. I I have this thinking center over here, too. And when I think, I can can pull together things in a way that um, are a little different than the way somebody else does it. Mm -hmm. And I think my work with the Enneagram speaks to that. One of the things that I talk about in this book that is not traditional Enneagram teaching, is that, you know, the idea for most people is if you're stressed, then you move to the unhealthy side of your stress number. And if you're secure, you automatically move to the healthy side of your security number. And that's not true. It isn't true. I've watched it over all these years. That limitation is not there. And the reality is that you can learn to bring back from your stress number things that will help you be more whole as a human being and as a person. So my way of talking about that is this. I don't think you can take care of yourself without the number that you go to in stress, and I don't think you can experience holistic healing without the number that you go to in security. And holistic healing would include safeguarding your soul. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to make a lot of decisions that are not good ones, but that feel good in the moment if I don't use thinking. Yep. Yep. One of the 
pieces of the book that I found uh, most accurate for my reality was my wife is a one, and so thinking repressed, uh, analogous to you as a two. And you tell a story about your son, Joel, and his wife, Whitney, and some of their fights in which Whitney is a one, Joel is a seven. Um, they're just kind of talking past each other. Joel is you know, trying to use logic. Whitney is trying to use the strength that come from uh, feelings. And it reminded me of fights that my wife and I used to have five, six, seven, eight years ago, where we would just like go at it, like just because we're talking right past each other. And it was, you know, Luke, why do you have to determine if my feelings are logical or not? Which uh, I was like, I feel like that's a, what you should be doing. And I didn't realize that I just have this repressed part of me that doesn't understand the truth of feelings. And so like, there's this beautiful, like just uh, like proverb insight that would help so many people if they could understand what each other are trying to do. And so I think this book is is brilliant for that. Um, the idea of understanding like your triad, like your intelligence center, but also understanding uh, your, your, repressed part um especially when that speaks to stress and i like that you talked about how when you go to stress don't just see that as the negative of that like take the high side of that number and uh and you just brilliant stuff that was far too accurate for me to feel comfortable the entire time i was reading it but what i'd like you to do now is do that thing where you go through each of the numbers and say like a, a quick word to that you did this um Maybe the last time or the previous time when we're talking about how different numbers engage with the pandemic. Um, could you just like, you don't have to do this for 20 minutes. I'm not trying to like ask you to teach the whole book, but just give a word about how each number deals with stress and the way for them to be seen, not as the low side of where they go in stress, but to like hold on to the high side of it. Does that make sense? Yep. As the kids say, I think, you know, the assignment. <clears throat> I'm bringing up thinking. I just saw it happen. Did you? It takes a minute. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to start with twos. So, you know, this uh, go-to in stress is, is not accurate language. The accurate language is take on the behavior of another okay. number. It just takes me too long to say that. You know, if yeah. I'm going to talk about it, if I have to say that a whole bunch of times, I'll just... Get frustrated. So I say the number you go to in stress. Just like I say Habakkuk instead of Habakkuk. There you go. Right. Fair enough. And, and nobody else knows how to say it. So you could probably teach a whole church to do that and they wouldn't even know they were being taught. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just yeah. say Habakkuk. All right. Here yeah. we go. Twos go to eight in stress. That means that. Um, I can either be too aggressive and too pushy on the low side of eight, or I can use what I learn from eightness to have some personal boundaries and to say no and to only do what's mine to do and to not get my feelings hurt so often. I can learn from eights that... Um, there is a way forward that doesn't depend on feelings, mine or other people's, but depends on thinking, feeling, and doing. 
And when I first started, uh, and you've already talked about this a little bit, but you talked about it in a different context. You talked about it in terms of bringing up your repressed center. The same thing happens in stress. You know, when you first try to use it proactively instead of as a reaction in your stress number, it comes out kind of sideways. And it's just weird. Like, it's just weird. And you just have to keep working it till you get through that. <clears throat> when um, threes are stressed, they go to nine. So you'll know um, that you're a three in stress if you're laying on the sofa with the remote because threes are usually up and doing. Mm -hmm. What happens, though, for you when you can access the the high healthy side of nine is that you can recognize that not everything depends on you. You don't have to be the leader. You, You don't have to come up with the way to do it. Sometimes... You can just fall in line like nines do with what's already happening. Fours go to two in stress. And that move is, um, there's a similarity between twos and fours that can get a little sticky in all of that. So the best way for me to talk about that is to say this. Um, as a two, I go to four in security. And that means that I can begin to look at life from the inside out instead of the outside in. So fours, when you go to two in stress, that means that you can begin to look at life from the outside in instead of from the inside out. That means that you can Find out what somebody else is interested in. You can lean into how they see and, more importantly, into what they might need. And when you do that on the healthy side of two, it's very helpful for your relationships. Mm -hmm. Very helpful. Fives go to seven in stress. That has to be one of the funniest moves on the Enneagram. It's like they say silly things and get tickled at themselves, and it's kind of awkward and and funny. And other people look at them like, what happened to you? Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. But, you know, the gift of seven is that they can let go of things. And it's also the challenge for sevens. But reframing actually is letting go of something for something better. And fives don't let go of things. They hold them and ruminate on them and think about them and think about them too long. So one of the things that fives can get from seven that's really beautiful is a little more lighthearted attitude that lacks cynicism or sarcasm. Sixes. Sixes go to three in stress. And that means that uh, they do a lot of things fast. And that's not particularly helpful. For you to do what you're already doing, but then do a whole bunch of kind of bossy things and, and getting a whole lot of stuff done, it, 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 in, with that low side of three, that's not good at all. But the high, healthy side of three for six is that you recognize that sometimes you're such a good leader. 
and you need to step up and and be in charge for a minute and know that everybody's letting you lead because you know what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about yours? Mm. Well, seven's obviously good at one in stress. And as you would say, the strength of that is that you complete tasks, which doesn't always happen with sevens. There's a lot of things that uh, get left uh, incomplete. And so the high side of being a one is that you get things done. The bad, the low side of ones uh, that uh, sevens take on is we become very binary thinking. It's uh, friends or enemies. It's my way or the highway. Um, very rigid, and that's not good. That was perfect. Yeah. Where'd you learn all that? I just read in the book. I've never personally experienced any of that. <laughs> and uh, anyone in my family or knows me well would agree with that. I uh, know they or, would not. Or they're not my friend. <laughs> all right. Eights, eights go to five. And so, you know, um, eights are kind of always big in the room. Whether they want to be or not, we end up looking toward them. Mm-hmm. And when they are on, when they can go to the healthy side of five, they pull back and they reevaluate themselves in the scene, other people who are part of whatever's happening. And if they do that well, they can re-enter with a different approach that is more aware of the needs and agendas of other people the other people who are involved. But there are two ways to do that. And one is, fine, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. And the other is, you know, we need to take a little break and let's regroup tomorrow. And then from the distance, eights can see how much power they have and how influential they are in other people's lives for good or for ill. Mm Mm-hmm. Nines go to six in stress. And, um, you know, healthy sixes have kind of checked out everything and they think, we better watch out for that. And I'm a little concerned about that over there. And we might should worry about this. Nines don't worry about much. You know, it's, ah, things will work out. Give it time. It'll handle itself. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that nines get from six space is sometimes you need to be worried. You need to be worried, and you need to have a different plan. So Mm -hmm. uh, pay attention. Now, there are a lot of other examples. These are, you know, just one. Okay, ones. uh, And stress, ones go to four. And, you know, that can be on the low side, unhealthy side of four, just hopelessness that looks kind of like depression. But on the high side of four, it gets beyond binary thinking like you were just talking about. It gets beyond dualistic thinking of good and bad and right and wrong. And on the high side of of four, ones can be more creative. And they can see texture. And they can focus on the big picture instead of the little tiny thing in the room that's not exactly right. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reality for all nine numbers is that you, you, if, if you have already done like a what we call a know your number workshop and you know your number, now do another one 
and just listen for everything you can learn about your stress number. Yep. Yep. The, okay, that was brilliant. That's perfect. Exactly what I was hoping for. Uh, this spring, you'll be in Austin. And I know you'll be other places teaching. You've been kind of locked up in a cage. You're, you're a bird set free flying around the world now. Uh, you're teaching this, this content, uh, I guess, starting fall this year, spring next year. January. And so January is when we start. So not only read this book, come to these, uh, your, your events. The one in Austin, it's in March sometime. I think so. Yeah, it'll be great. Uh, so if, if you're interested in learning more about Suzanne, come to Austin for a weekend. I mean, Austin's a great place and Suzanne's a great teacher and this is a great book. And so, um, I'm going to pull up my phone right now. I'm going to get the date of this. Oh, um, while you're doing that, let me just say that this is a book tour for 2022, but it's a teaching book tour. And so what we're going to, we intentionally three years ago or four started identifying hub cities where we felt like. We wanted to go and that the people who follow my work could come to one of those cities somewhere in the country. So there are 10 stops on the book tour. And on Friday nights, we're going to do something like a, you know, a a podcast or a a podcast at a bookstore, a podcast at a coffee shop or something fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to teach for six hours uh, at the churches that we've chosen on Saturday. That's what it'll look like. It's going to be great. Uh, the date that I have on my calendar is April 8th and April 9th. Great. So March, April. It's it's Palm Sunday weekend. So what better way to celebrate the triumphant entrance of Jesus as King than by learning your journey towards wholeness? Because some people need to go to eight, like Jesus on a you know war horse. But, you know, maybe eights, calm down on Palm Sunday. Learn how to calm down, chill out a little bit, and... On the Enneagram. Okay, uh, that riff, not, not my best, but, you know, we'll... we'll I liked it. Can I add to your riff? Yeah, sure. Okay, what about this? What about, um, not Palm Sunday, but what about um, Jesus, the, the disciples see all the people who have followed Jesus, and they say to Jesus, you need to feed them. You need to do something about feeding them. And he just puts on some eight and says, feed them yourself. Yeah. You go yeah. feed them. Yep. Yep, that's Almost a done. great, great story from me. Because I always think I have to feed everybody. That's a good word. I think some people listening right now need to hear the word. You don't have to feed everyone. No. It's not your job. Nope. Can't do it. Learn some boundaries. Two, take some of the high side of eight. Yeah. Say some boundaries for yourself. I know. Suzanne, this is great. Thanks for the time. Love the podcast. Love the conversation. Look forward to seeing you in a couple months in Austin. Thanks. Me too.